Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. Unfortunately, PK is not going to be joining us tonight. She had another setback, another fracture in her back has turned up. So our dear PK is back in the hospital. So all your prayers, of course, are so welcome. She said to give everyone a big hello from her. And she hopes to be back at the beginning of the year She has so missed being on the air and talking to all of our listeners about numerology while the world goes crazy around us. So it's always good to have PK's insight, so I'm hoping she'll be back for January. But in the meantime, we have so much going on. I wanted to direct you all to our Facebook page. There is an incredible photo there I'd love for everybody to see. Now, this came from someone in Alaska who had just lost a beloved horse. And he went out to take a picture of another horse. And the photo that you will see is quite incredible. So please go to our Facebook page and take a look at that. It will melt your heart. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and MeWe and all the social platforms that we frequent so that you can keep up with all these great stories, photos, videos. As you know, UFO sightings have ramped way up, and people are posting them all over the world, and we're getting all the best ones to you as fast as we can. So go there to enjoy them and other stories about the paranormal, we will continue to post those and provide you with the best coverage that we can all the way through the rest of this year. And I also want to remind you about a a very difficult subject, but it affects most of us, property taxes. Make sure you get Patricia Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. And you need to know. You need to know how to read your property record card, what they're taxing you on, and how to make changes. If what they have on your card is wrong, you only have a short window of opportunity to get everything straightened out with your assessors. And there's a whole procedure you need to follow if your assessors will not work with you on the changes that need to be made. So... Attorney Patricia Quintilian has written a great book, and it is available on Amazon. So make sure you get that if you're a property owner and you need to find out about your property taxes. 
Now, another book I wanted to recommend is the Opus Mago Cabalisticum. That is an amazing book that was found by Lon Duquette in one of the Harry Potter-style libraries. I mean, Harry Potter for real-style libraries. And we had it translated from Old German into English. And it is also available on Amazon.com. It makes a beautiful gift. So... Tonight, we have an an incredible couple with us. Now, they've been on our show before, and both PK and I so enjoyed both of them. They are outstanding people, honest people, and they're here again tonight to speak with us about an incredible and undeniable alien encounter that occurred in Wyoming in 1974. Now, what happened was, I'm going to give you just a tiny bit of this story, and then Marjorie Higdon is going to take over from there. Now, Carl went on an elk hunting uh, journey in October of 1974. He spotted a herd of elk, he lined up his rifle to take a shot, and all of a sudden, high strangeness intervened. And Carl found himself face-to-face with an alien life form. So it takes off from there. Now, what were these aliens doing here? Were they hunting elk or were they hunting people or both? You're going to hear all about it tonight. So let me welcome to the show Marjorie Higdon. She herself is the author of Alien Abduction of the Wyoming Hunter, the first-person story of Carl Higdon. Marjorie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, it's great having you here again. I know Carl's right with you, and he's he may or may not be able to uh, pipe in, uh, but I do know that he he has uh, said that your version of the story is 100% what happened. And so I'm going to ask you to set the stage for us. What happened that night when or that day when Carl left to go elk hunting? And take us in from there. Well, uh, Carl was an oil field operator, and uh, his uh, crew was sick with the flu, and so they couldn't go to work, and so he decided to go go hunting. And um, he got his rifle, and it was a brand new one, and loaded his truck up with it. And I knew he was going to go hunting, but I did not know where. I went to work that morning, and um, that was all I knew about it. He went hunting, well, he went out south of Rollins, Wyoming. Out to, He was going to hunt in McCarty Canyon. While he was uh, getting ready to turn into McCarty Canyon, there were some hunters that their truck had broke down. And uh, he stopped to help him, and uh, they poured some coffee and talked like hunters do, and Carl told him that he was going down into the uh, canyon to see if he could find some elk. And uh, the men with the uh, truck told him that hunting was better in the forest. And so after they got the truck fixed and had another cup of coffee, well, Carl... They left, and Carl just went on into the forest. 
and uh, then he left. He talked to the game warden at uh, when he first came into the forest. He par- he had parked his pickup on top of the hill, and it, he's he's a coffee drinker. He poured himself <laughs> a cup of coffee again, and uh, the. Uh, Game warden and him were talking for a little bit, and he told the game warden he was going to go on down the hill and see what he could see down there. And the game warden left and wished him happy, you know, wished him luck. And it was a long, uh, winding road down into it. It was dirt, of course, muck. And uh, when he got down so far, well, he saw five elk in the clearing. And he raised his rifle to uh, get one, and the best one, of course, in sight, and shot. And that is when everything started. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he had shot his gun, uh, his brand-new rifle, and uh, there was no noise. Uh, the elk were still standing there. And he watched the bullet come out of the gun. You don't watch a bullet come out of the gun. It goes too fast. Right. Um, but he watched the bullet come out of the gun and just stopped and fell to the ground before it got to the elk. And it was real quiet. There was just no birds, nothing. There was just, it was quiet. And all of a sudden, he could feel that there was somebody behind him and watching him. And when he turned, it was the alien. And uh, he, this, the alien that Carl saw is nothing like what all these people have in their books and comics and all these. He was about six foot tall. Uh, Carl... Um, Described him as being about 180 pounds. Uh, he had bowed legs. Um, he kind of looked like a man, but his he was kind his coloring was yellow, uh, and he didn't really have a chin. It was just like it went down into his neck. But the funny part was his hair was like straw, but had two little protrusions coming up like antennas. And he was dressed in a, like a um, scuba suit, like what people wear in the water. (laughs) But uh, he was out there in the forest. (laughs) And, uh, but he had no hands. Oh, really? No hands. Carl could not see any Carl could not see any hands at all, and uh, through his one, the scuba driver's suit was long-sleeved, and through the sleeve he could see like a a cone on the end of it. And whatever this being um, motioned with this cone at, it would disappear. He just disappeared. You couldn't see it anymore. Oh, my goodness. Um, he was bull-legged, and the, and the scuba diver suit was black. 
And I want to emphasize that it was black because, how do I want to put this, later on when Carl and the being did talk, um, it was really more telegraphed, but um, Carl asked him why he was wearing this kind of a suit, and he said, because our son burns them. And with a black suit, uh, then they don't have the, the sun's rays on them. And, uh, so let's, let's let me see. just stop you for a minute, mm-hmm. Marjorie. This is fascinating and for a number of reasons. First of all, Carl had such a great memory of all of this. He was able to provide tremendous detail. And also that this being was able to communicate with him in a kind of a friendly way. Yeah, so telepathically yes. he's he's connecting with them, but it it didn't sound aggressive. It didn't I mean it sounded like they were just two people having no. a conversation in some ways. Uh in in fact, these people, these beings helped Carl. They did not hurt Carl. They were not there to hurt him. Um and I've been told it can't be an abduction because they asked Carl if he wanted to go with them and he told them might as well. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's just Carl. That's pretty I brave. Mean, pretty brave. Uh, well, it, it would be brave, except if you could have seen him the night they brought him into the hospital, uh, he was completely in an amnesic shock. He did not even mm-hmm. know me. Um, I was a pretty little lady that was in the emergency room, so he was still nice. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's good that's good um, but, but yeah this is a very unusual um experience and it, it does vary in a lot of ways from other abduction type scenarios that you're describing and just even starting with the description of this this alien uh, usually as you mentioned the aliens are described as grays with big black eyes and or they're reptilian, or they're like a praying mantis. Right. He wasn't this really scary. Totally I mean, yeah, yeah. he kind of looked like a man, except there were, you know, every every man's got a different things about him. And this guy, he was yellow. His, his complexion was yellow. And his hair was kind of freaky. But, but other than that, I mean, he wasn't like like they show him a lot of them. Exactly. Yeah. So his description uh, was very. It sounds like very detailed and a very different type of alien life form. Very different. So here- right. And we we had a, a professor that um, works with UFOs, and he tried to debunk Carl's story. And the more he tried to debunk it, it the more it gave. Um, like what do you call it, it to it? Proof of it. Because yep. he said, well, if if uh, they didn't have any sun on their planet, they wouldn't have any eyebrows. They wouldn't need them because that was for all. We use them for our ultraviolet rays. The, this being had no eyebrows that Carl could see. And he was bow-legged. And being bow-legged mm-hmm. would be rickets from mm-hmm. uh not having uh, the vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And what were some of the other things? And you were saying that Carl had such a good recollection of this. No, he did not. Um, in the beginning, he could remember a lot of what happened, but he thought he was crazy. He really did. Um, he, If it hadn't been for Dr. Sprinkle, uh, I don't know if I'd still have a husband left. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Leo I mean, Sprinkle, Dr. just so everybody knows who he is, he is a, he was a psychologist, I believe, and a professor who worked with alien abductees. And unfortunately, Leo passed away just recently. Yeah, he passed away a few weeks ago. Yes, and he was a great man, a gentle man. Everybody loved him who knew him. And he was extremely compassionate towards abductees and was happy to help anybody who came to his door. So, again, uh, he was the one who helped your husband, which is... Oh, yes. He had, he, Carl had the right guy helping him, that's for sure. Uh, and uh, Dr. Sprinkle, Leo, put him under hypnosis in order to bring a lot of this out. A lot Bits and pieces came out so that when they did the hypnosis, it all it put the puzzle together. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl went through, oh, I don't know how much testing he went through. Um, the uh, University of Wyoming, um, where Leo worked, they put him through a lot of testing. Uh, they even put Carl through um, a psychologist to see if he was all there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> um and um, they gave him, I forget how many lie detest, uh, detector, uh, detector tests. Um, and what it came back was that Carl believed himself this, what he was telling you, so that it was not a lie. They could not say for sure because whenever they talked to Carl about it, he got very emotional. And whenever you talk about this to Carl, even to this day, uh, when they talk about the lights that were on the other planet 163,000 miles away, there was this tower. And on this tower, there were bright, bright lights. And they burnt his eyes. uh, And the doctor said it was kind of like a, a welder's burn. Uh, oh, when they was when serious. he was taken to the hospital, um, and so this every, is every time one hundred sixty-three thousand light years from our planet. No, not miles, but light no. years, right? No, no, light miles, light miles. Okay, from Earth. light miles. This this one is it's totally different. I mean, it's uh, it doesn't go along with the regular ones. No, mm-hmm. and in the same area. Um, two years ago, another hunter was hunting, and he has completely disappeared. And his <gasps> father has put on Facebook, uh, my son, Mark Stripmatter, went hunting two years ago this month while hunting south of Rollins. I'm asking all hunters to please look for any signs of his remains. If you can find anything, please contact the Carbon County Sheriff. I need some closure, so any help would be greatly appreciated. 
Sincerely, Mike. My God. Oh, heartbreaking. My husband came back. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. And so let's go back to what happened that day. So Carl's uh, having a telepathic conversation with this alien, um, and he's also aware that the bullet he that came out of his rifle hit something, and this bullet itself was just what smushed. I mean, it was just flat. It, it is. Uh, it has been uh, examined by, I believe it was Dr. Walker. Uh, he's a metallist. Uh, um, he, he's a he's metallurgist. Uh, so he was looking at the the way the metal. Um, and it was what, completely turned or? inside out. There's no oh, lead goodness. whatsoever in the bullet. He said it was like it hit something hard, and he said, off the record, like a force field. He said he ah. tried to put it. He tried to shoot one into a brick. He tried to shoot one into different things, and he could not make a bullet in the shape that this one was in. And this this bullet, why I do not know. But I went down and had a professional picture taken of it. The studio that took the picture has burnt down. Oh. Um, this this seems to be things that happen with UFO things. Um, why, I don't know. Our telephone was tapped for a while afterwards. Um, we kind of knew it was, and we gave them... A lot of things that was not true on the phone. If they wanted to listen, we we had fun with it. My daughter and I. My daughter was pregnant. My daughter was pregnant. We we, you know. Oh, I I wonder if it's going to be an alien or feel it be like his father. I mean, which one? I mean, we were. I mean, we we knew we were being tapped. Yeah, so why not have some and fun that's, with it? That's, so just kind of, that's just the kind of people we are. I mean, it was <laughs> a well, little crazy. And again, <laughs> well, and, but very much as, you know, straight-up people. And this is back in the 70s also. Where, I mean, people were Correct. friendlier. You lived in a town that they really knew you and your husband. They knew Carl, and they never questioned him. If Carl said something happened, it no. happened. So let's... You know, let's keep Carl that in mind, is a matter. Too. He's matter of fact, and uh, if he says it, that's the way it is. And if you want to believe it, fine. He doesn't care. That's right. just the way Carl is. <laughs> yeah. And so he had a lot of support from the town. Nobody ever gave him a hard time there, which was great. No. But of course, our government has always been extremely interested, despite their protestations. Uh, they've been extremely interested in all abductees, and they have followed them closely. Uh, as soon as they find out about any abduction, that's what they do. So uh, let's go back again to the conversation that telepathically Carl was having with this alien. So, again, well, I the get the first... sense of almost friendship between the two of these guys. Well, he asked him if he, the first thing he asked him, are you hungry? And Carl said, well, sort of. And that's when a packet of pills in like a cellophane package-like came floating, floating to Carl. 
and he took one and put the rest of them in his pocket. There were three of them. Mm-hmm. And Ozo, the bean, told Carl that that would last him for three days. And then he said, do you want to go with us? And Carl says, I might as well. <laughs> and, well, <laughs> what can you do? It was like, Carl said it was like he, he had no control over it. Mm-hmm. And um, yes. the the bean had a, Carl called it, and now Carl works in the oil field. He knows distance. He's a hunter. He knows the outdoors. And he gave it the definite the measurements of it. I think what was it? What was the measurements yet? I forget. Anyway, it was. Uh, You're talking about the I'll, I'll say about seven feet by. I forget the measurements. This people, you'll have to remember this happened 47 years ago. <laughs> Yeah. And um, it's in your book also if they would like to read the book. I know you have that in there, The Alien Abduction of the Wyoming Hunter. So uh again, it's that information, the specifics are in the book. So it wasn't very big though, right? No. Uh, a, no it wasn't. What, what and was Carl strange. said that was that was where Carl kind of lost it because uh, Carl said how could I be in this he called it a cubicle. And you could see through it. It was glass, like like glass. And he said, how could I be in there and five elk and this other being, it wasn't big enough. He said it was like he was made smaller. And several months later, when we took him to the chiropractor, the chiropractor made the remark, what happened to you anyway? He said, your bones are just... Uh, like like they just were compressed, and he said, you know, I've got to kind of stretch them out. So wow. I, that I don't know either. I mean, it's just different things that have been said. Anyway. Uh, were there people there? I thought there were also some other people on that ship uh, with him. Uh, not until they've come back. Oh, when they came okay. when they came back there was uh, uh two I think I think two other ones. Mhm. But uh no no he, that was the only one he talked about uh during the hypnosis. We have all the papers uh-huh. on all the hypnosis on him and all Carl talked about was Ozil 1 and he um I guess you would say managed the spaceship the the cubicle mm-hmm. um carl said he looked down and when he looked down on the floor of the cubicle he saw his pickup the bean waved his hand at the pickup and the pickup disappeared whoa and the next thing carl looked down again and saw like a blue marble which was Earth. And then after that, it was completely dark. And then after that, the bright lights, the bright lights. And it was a a tower kind of like the um, uh, Seattle, uh, not Seattle. What what is that tower that's, um, oh, 
they made a, a, a restaurant out of it. The world's at oh, the world's like a needle. Fair. The needle. Yes. Yes. I think the I. Needle. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, those lights were on a different world. He's now on a different, on a different world, world, seeing these lights. Yes, and down below him, Carl could see that there was there were people around the bottom, and he said they were at ease, but they were people like him. And when they got out of the cubicle, they did not walk. They floated. They floated into this building. And when they got into the building, the wall came out in front of him, like like an x-ray or something would be, you know, to examine you. Mm-hmm. And they looked at him, and I guess there were other people in there. That, that he didn't say. I don't know. Um, but he said the wall came out, they examined him, and said, you're not what we want, we will take you back. Again, they came out of the building floating. And when they came into the lights again, every time he talks about the lights, his eyes start to water. And I mean, they're profusely. I mean, they're bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they got back into the cubicle, and uh, Ozo wanted to see Carl's rifle, and Carl showed it to him. Carl was proud of it. It was a brand-new rifle. He was proud of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Ozo one looked at it, and he said, this is a primitive weapon. And he said, I'd like to keep it, but I can't. I'm not allowed. Now, what that means, huh. I don't know, but that was what was in the hypnosis I would love to keep it but I'm not allowed and um, I I believe there was another uh, being in there with him when they brought him back and they dropped him on the side of a hill and they just dropped him down Carl just fell out of the cubicle they didn't sit down on the ground or anything they just floated above this uh, hill and let Carl out, and he just floated to the ground, and he was on the side of the hill, and his foot slipped, and he fell down, and he hit his shoulder, and um, <clears throat> and it was very, very cold out that night. And uh, he Carl started walking around trying to get his sense back. I mean, right. he was he was scared. Carl Carl is a very strong, strong person. Very very strong. He was scared. Uh, well, yeah, good he, reason to be. Just had contact with someone from another world, and actually was taken to another world. So sure, and and he was, as I recall, you described. You know, Carl was a big strong guy. Also, he he yes. was physically uh, strong. He, also, Carl was six foot tall. Um, he weighed at that time. He weighed probably around oh between 170 to 180, uh, which he's down to about 140 now. But um, uh, Carl was a big man. He's got big shoulders, and he had muscles. Oh, he had muscles, and he's very, <laughs> very, very. St- <laughs> well, he did. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that's Carl, what I'm, I'm, I want everybody to understand, that this was no weakling. This was a no, a big, strong no. guy. 
He was sure of himself. As you mentioned, he was a hunter. He knew the outdoors. He knew his weapon. He knew what he was doing out there. He was hunting uh, elk for the family to have food. And and right. yet, all of a sudden, he finds himself face-to-face with an alien um, who's, who's telepathically communicating with him about... And he has know, no control come over and, himself. Right. So he, yeah, right. So he just went along. Um, luckily, he wasn't uh, treated so badly. It sounds like they, after they examined him, they determined probably what you and I discussed quite some time ago, that he had had a vasectomy, Right. Right, so, and so he was not able to, and, and now with this other one that has disappeared out there, he is a young a young boy, the way I take it, this hunter that went missing uh, two years ago. He would be a young, uh, this son Young man who, uh-huh. right, right, so maybe and, they felt uh, like they could keep him um, because maybe that's what they were looking for. So, but they took the elk also. So Aza one took yes. these, these elk and when Carl, on, on the ship. And when while they were going this 163 miles, they they talked, and Oza one told him that um, the animals have died on their planet, and the fish in their sea has died, and their ocean their um, ocean is yellow. And that they uh, come to Earth and search for food, and they take the animals back and make pills out of them so that they can eat. Hmm. And uh, also, the bean. When Carl saw the bean, I think he just had two two large front teeth. Was all he had. He did not have a bunch of teeth. Mm-hmm. You would need them if he was just eating pills, yeah. Right. And so there again, when Dr., um, I can't think his name at the moment, tried to debunk the story and was, you know, coming up with all this, he was adding to the story instead of taking away what he had meant to do. Right. You know, with him right. being bow-legged, the rickets and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's... That is so interesting. So, and the fact that they dropped him off. Now, this may explain some other things that have happened where people have been taken, disappear, and then all of a sudden they reappear. But a lot of them have head injuries. They, It's like they've fallen from a great distance. And these right. also are people that know the outdoors. So I wonder why... In the world, uh, these aliens just drop people off um, the way they do, and there's obviously not a big concern for their safety. I mean, here was your husband who had just been on this great adventure that was very disorienting. And it's nighttime, and they just uh, they drop them off through the bottom of the cubicle. I mean, that's not very yeah, nice. and <laughs> and it's down in the in the in the canyon. I mean, it's not on top of. There, there was a hill there at the bottom of the canyon, but um, and then he found his pickup in a muck hole. I call it. I mean, it was uh, it was muddy out, and uh, his pickup. When the search party found it, there was no tire tracks leading up to the muck hole. But his pickup had to be. They had to. to uh, 
uh, take logs, cut logs, and put underneath the pickup to try to get it out of the muck hole. Um, so it's mean, like it was, was placed there. It couldn't have been driven yes, there. Yes, like it, like it had just been dropped there. Yes. Now, here you are at home, and your husband has I, not come back. And you, this is before cell phones. So what was happening with you? I had been at work. I came home from work, and Carl and I are very close. And we can kind of feel things of each other. Um, mm-hmm. About 4.30, I felt... I felt I had to go to Carl. I had to find him. I knew he went hunting, but I did not know where. But I called my girlfriend. I asked her, would you take me out to look for my husband? I didn't even know where I'd be going, but I had to go find him. And my girlfriend told me, you know, if he's out hunting elk, and if he gets an elk, he's going to have to, uh, you know, field dress it. And it's going to take time. She said, he'll be okay, just, you know, everything's all right, just just settle down. And um, so I started making supper and everything, and about 6 o'clock, a little after 6, I started feeling everything was okay. And I guess that's about the time Carl came back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and about a little after 6, the phone rang, and it was uh, Carl's um, boss, one of his bosses. And he said, where did Carl go hunting at? We know he took the company pickup, which he did. He took the company pickup, which is only a two-wheel drive. He took the company pickup and went hunting. Now, where did he go? I told Rob, but I said, I don't know. I, I know he was talking of going hunting this morning, but I have no idea where he was going. He was talking something about McCarty Canyon. And he says, well, we have a man on the phone, on the the CB radio. We're pretty sure it is Carl's pickup. And we're pretty sure it is Carl talking, but he don't sound right. Now tell us, where did he go? And I said, but I don't know. I, I, I just, and a few minutes later, they called back and they told me, that they had him on the CB, and they had they had uh, found out that it was Carl's pickup, and they were pretty sure it was Carl, and they were uh, getting a search party ready, and they had asked for a helicopter, but the pilot that was going had drank a drink, and so he was not allowed to go up. So we had I I think there were I think there were six in the search party. Um, They were all hunters. Uh, They were all outdoor men. Um, Anyway, uh, they said they were going out to look for him. And I said, I want to go with you. And they said, if you don't have a four-wheel drive, stay home. And so as soon as I hung up from him, I called my girlfriend back, and I said, they're going out to look for him. They're pretty sure the area... We, they had a four-wheel drive, and I said, will you take me out? And they said, well, I said, the men are going up to gas up right now. And they said, well, we'll have to gas up too, and we'll be right down to get you. So while this is all happening, 
the men were going down this winding, muddy road trying to get in to where Carl was because they had him on the CB radio, the company CB radio, that they could uh, tell kind of where in the vicinity where he was. And um, Bud told us to stay on top of the hill. He said, do not come in here. I mean, he was very, very adamant about it. And so we sat on top of the hill while we waited for him. And there was not a full moon that night, but you could have picked up a dime on the road. I mean, it was that bright out. Wow. And we sat there and waited in the pickup. And uh, Marilyn, uh, my girlfriend, uh, we all laid our heads back and kind of to rest while we waited. And all of a sudden, Marilyn said, will you quit moving the pickup? And her husband said, go back to sleep. You're dreaming. She said, no. She said, look at that star up there. She said, it's moving back and forth, and it's changing colors. Dawn said, you're dreaming. Go to sleep. And so she laid back down and went back to sleep. And her husband called the men to see if they had found Carl yet. And I'm going to say the words that they said. Hell, we haven't found him yet. We haven't even got to him yet. We are pulling each other. With our four-wheel drive pickups, we're having to pull each other in order to go. The road is horrible. Stay where you are. Do not come in. So we sat there and waited again. And... I don't know how long it was after that that they finally said that they had found him, but they were going to take a different road out because they couldn't get back up the road that they had come in on. Right. And they were going out towards the where the opening of the forest was and to meet us down there. And so we went down there, and we could watch them snake around in the roads, I mean, back and forth, back and forth, and curving all around. And we noticed it looked like a sunrise, and I made the remark, the sun was coming up, not even thinking it was about midnight. I mean, sun don't come up at midnight. No, it certainly doesn't. And But it was, that's what it looked like, and we didn't even think anything more about it. I mean, we just watched them come up, and um, they had a, a gate where they came out, and uh, somebody unlocked it, and the men uh, got all their extra gas cans out and started filling their vehicles up. And uh, they had Carl in the one pickup. And shortly after that, uh, Roy came down the road. He was one of uh, one of Carl's friends, but he was also a boss. He had driven all the way down from Riverton, Wyoming, to make to. Um, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. He's very emotional. Uh, I mean, you didn't know if you were going to see your husband again. They were searching for him, for God's sake. Well, Gosh. and when I when I when I went to him, he he didn't even know me. He looked straight through me. I mean, it was he didn't know me at all. 
And all he would do is look out the windshield up, and he'd say, my elk, my elk, they took my elk, they took my elk. And it was cold, and he was shivering. Oh, he was shivering. So I took my coat off, and I tried to just put it around his arms. And he told me not to touch him. Not, don't, don't you touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. He kept screaming. Mm. And I told Don, I, I didn't know what was wrong with him. I said, take the rifle out from back behind the, the window. They had a, a place where you can put your, uh, a rifle rack. Mm-hmm. And I told sure. him, get it out. I said, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with him. I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So Don took it out of the, the back end of the, the pickup, and um, then they were ready to leave, and Don had to take me by the shoulders and take me back to his pickup. And we started following him in. They were going to take him to the hospital because he was in such a bad shape. And all of a sudden there was a light coming down the road. It was Roy was from had driven in from uh, Rock Springs. And he, when, when he drove down the road, his lights were on, and all of a sudden, uh, they they had stopped. the The thirteen crew had stopped to meet with the guy that was coming down the road, and they had been talking to him on the CB, so they knew it was Roy. And when they stopped the pickup. Carl jumped out of the pickup, ran to the side of the ditch by the fence. The deputy sheriff was with us. He jumped out of the pickup. He squatted down with his gun drawn and on his leg, ready to shoot Carl if he had to. We didn't know what he was going to do. He was screaming. He was hollering. He was running with his arms over his eyes. The lights, the lights, the lights burned. The lights burned. Mm. And then all of a sudden... For for you, that must have been terrifying because you just got your husband back, but he's acting a little off, to say it mildly, and now you have somebody pointing a gun at him thinking he's going to have to shoot your husband. What a roller coaster And he would have. He would have if he had to because he was... He was like a crazy man. And then Bud and I decided that it was the lights of the vehicles that were bothering him, so we told everybody to turn the lights out. And -hmm. as soon as they turned the lights out, Carl settled down. He walked over to Roy's car. Roy had the back door open so that he could lay down and be more comfortable. Carl walked to the back door, slammed it shut, and got in the front seat. Hmm. And all the way to the hospital, Carl and Roy talked. And to this day, Roy will not say what all they talked about. He, He will not. He just said that Carl asked him, "Why aren't you wearing a black suit? Doesn't the doesn't the sun burn you?" Uh, uh, mm-hmm. And I forget some of the other things. But and then the elk. Why do you, um, 
or uh, I don't know something about the elk and the elk, and then then we were at the hospital. Uh, now this Tonko, begins a whole a whole other uh, <laughs> experience of yeah. high strangeness <laughs> when you're at the hospital. So this yes. continues on for you. And Marjorie, I have to congratulate you for maintaining your composure through all of this and seeing your husband through this really, really disorienting experience um, because you were right there by his side trying to help and trying to figure out why he was reacting so adversely. You figured out it was the lights. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to this whole experience. So here you were at the hospital, and now what happens? Uh, His eyes were were just... I mean, they were tearing all down his face just completely. And the, the nurse, uh, she doubled up a wash rag, a washcloth in force and uh, put it over his eyes. And uh, Carl was still screaming, the lights, the lights, they hurt, they burn, even through the, uh, the washcloth. So the nurse turned off the lights. Uh, before that, though... Um, she had gone over him with her hands to kind of see where he was hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, his shoulder was hurt very bad, very bad. And that's got a that's something else. That's another story. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. um, she would as she would go over him, Carl would say, "Oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts." But when she would go back over him again, he'd say, oh, that feels good. That feels good. It didn't hurt anymore. It was wow. like uh, he was programmed that some when some things happened, things would happen, you know. Uh, right, right. I understand what you're saying. Uh, and Carl was in an amnesic uh, condition until our daughter, our oldest daughter, walked into the hospital room, and then all of his memory came back of who we were. Um, He knew something had happened, um, different things. He he knew bits and pieces of it then, but not until then. When he was in the uh, emergency room, uh, even in the emergency room, he kept talking about the men in black uh, the 163,000 miles, uh, light miles, and Dr. Tonko has put this all in his medical records because he said uh, it, it was so strange, you know. He said people don't talk like this. They, you know, what what's going on? He was he was one of he was a new doctor in town, and mm-hmm. he wrote he wrote everything down. And, well, that's uh, wonderful that he did that. So you have those records. That's great. Yes, and they gave him a test uh, for drugs. He was not on any drugs. Uh, they took a course blood test. Um, I asked him how his blood test was, and he said he's got good blood. It's super blood. He's got good blood. Very good blood. And, now, as I, um, I understand it, his blood was enriched, like in a way they they could not determine how that happened, right? Well, that's what that was what was said. Yes. Mhm. 
And did he still and have those other three pills left in his pocket? No. Uh, while he was uh, in the emergency room, he kept screaming for his pills, my pills. I've got to have my pills. And mm-hmm. he, he kept reaching into his pocket where he had put them, but they were not there. And under hypnosis, when it when he went under hypnosis, uh, Ozo One had taken them back. Uh, oh, that's too and bad. And they floated. <laughs> they flo- yeah, <laughs> they floated uh, back to Ozo. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we do have we did have the bullet as proof that it was you know mm-hmm. it was turned inside out. Uh, the pickup where it was found, uh, and no other um, tracks led up to where it was found at in in a mud hole. And I mean, it was the whole thing was in a mud hole. <laughs> I call yeah, it a muck. Really. They they dropped <laughs> and, it there. Yes. And, and the then game the other thing that... had seen him at the top of the hill earlier that day. Right. They had had that conversation. So mm-hmm. he saw him there. He knew he was in that area hunting for elk. Now, also, there was something about Carl's lungs, right? Yes. Tell yes. us about that. His father had uh, tuberculosis, and Carl had uh, spots on his lungs. Mm-hmm. And he also had been passing quite a few kidney stones. Um. He no longer has spots on his lungs, and he has not passed any more kidney stones. So those two things are completely we, we cleared We feel up. that they helped him with that. Sounds that they way. They helped him. They didn't hurt him. They Right. They helped scar him. tissue in your lungs, it does not go away easily. And uh, kidney stones, usually if somebody has some type of predilection towards that, it, it's a lifelong thing. So both right. of those things changed. Totally. Very unusual. Right. So, yeah, they didn't harm him uh, like some other no. people have described. So so that's the good news. And yes. so here he is. He's had this amazing experience. He didn't recognize you, but he does recognize his daughter when she comes into the hospital, your, your eldest daughter, and so starts right. to remember uh, his life and and bits and pieces of what happened on this this crazy experience. So, how long was he in the hospital for? Uh, two days, I believe. They they kind of kept him in for observation. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it was two days. And then you took him home and. And he went back to work, and like everything no, was normal, no, or he, what happened? No, 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 no. Uh, Carl actually thought he was going crazy. He mm-hmm. he knew this happened, but he couldn't believe it. Uh, we would even wake up in the middle of the night, and he'd, he'd say, I, I just had a dream, didn't I? And I would say, you know, you, you were in the hospital. You don't get... Uh, Bills for being in the hospital uh, in a dream. Uh, there's the bullet. Uh, I kept talking to him. You don't have a search party. Uh, all the things I could remember about. I said, you don't have a dream about that. It's. Uh, 
I can prove all this to you. Um, and the newspaper had gotten a hold of it because there had been a search party. And uh, I think her name was Sue Taylor. Uh, she called and wanted to have an interview with Carl. And when she talked to Carl, uh, she said, would you give me an interview? And Carl says, if you want to talk to a crazy person. He said, I don't know if I'm crazy or not. And uh, she wrote up the story of what had happened, that he had, you know, they'd found him and taken him to the hospital and all this. And then um, it got into the national news. Uh, I won't go into that part yet. Uh, when Carl was first home, he would not drive the pickup. He would not get in it. He would not drive it at all. He was scared that if he drove the pickup, he might hurt somebody. Uh, Carl grew up with a stick transmission. He mm-hmm. did not know what that stick was in the middle of the car in the middle of the pickup for. He he just couldn't ah. figure that out. What 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 what's that for? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he walked everywhere he went. Uh, I went back to work. Um, the kids went back to school. Uh, the art teacher. Um, from uh, my son's school, uh, knew of the area and had been told a lot of stories of the area. And he asked if he could come down and take a, uh, if Carl could describe him, if he could make a picture of him. And that is where the, the drawing of the alien is from Carl's description of the alien. Okay. Um and then the science class of, of school, the kids came down to talk to Carl about uh, different worlds, and uh, they they just asked a lot of questions, and it was okay. Uh, Carl needed to talk about it, uh, and but he won't he won't just come up and talk to about it to you unless you ask him. He's not just going to talk about it. He he lets you ask the questions if you want to know about it. Right, right. Uh, I was with him with all of the hypnosis, all the lie detector tests, uh, all the testing that he did at the, the University of Wyoming. Uh, the National Enquirer even flew us to... Um, California, and he underwent uh, lie detector tests out there again, and uh, written tests uh, on the UFO and on himself. Um, <clears throat> as Carl said, that he wanted to find out also, so he went along with him, and I went with him on every test that he took, so that I knew what they were doing to my husband. Good for you. Good for you. So if you think back on this, I mean, what do you think? Is this like a right time, right place kind of a thing, the reason that this happened? Um, yes, I, it, just, it just happened. 
um, it wasn't planned or anything. He he happened to be just in the place, and Ozo was there trying to get some elk, as Carl was trying to get some elk at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't there after my husband. Uh, Carl was just happened to be there. Um, No, I, so, I, I I don't think it was planned or anything. No, he wasn't. He wasn't after a human. No. Mm-hmm. So he was after the elk, and so was Carl. <laughs> so correct. Uh, correct. Also, one uh, actually won. He got the elk, and uh, Carl. And he had said he was a hunter. Him. He he was also a hunter on the planet. He was a hunter. He was, too. He was a hunter. Right. And, and you know and these they stories. Came, yeah. I have to just say, Marjorie, we've heard stories about this kind of thing, where aliens come here for food and and take what they want and bring it back to their planet. So this does kind of fit. You know, this is another piece of the puzzle when it comes to aliens, that they do use right. this planet to get their own food. Yeah. And that their planet has been overused. And uh, so it can't grow them anymore. Right. I wonder, uh, elk, too. Go ahead. I mean, elk are known, elk meat is known to have a lot of minerals, vitamins and minerals in it. So I wonder if that's why they chose elk over deer or over something else. It's it's interesting. They're large, and they're large, Mm -hmm. and high in protein. Right. And um, yeah. they eat grass, not uh they're not fed corn or anything. Um and there's a lot of meat on an elk. That's yes. what Carl was after, to fill our deep freeze. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And uh <laughs> and um when when you go to butcher one, which we always did our own and we packaged our own and there is a lot of meat there. A lot of meat. So it would make sense that if an ET comes here and they they want something to take back, they would take something like an elk. So it does make it it adds up in my mind. It makes sense, and I think Carl got very lucky that you guys decided he should have a vasectomy um, because <laughs> yes, <laughs> we had four kids Clearly. in four years. We yeah, oh, we yeah. needed. <laughs> yeah, you did need Never that. Mind. So so thank goodness, thank goodness because. Honestly, I ha- I I can't stop thinking about that person, that young man who disappeared two years ago. I mean, what if they picked him up? They found out he did not have a vasectomy, but he fit the protocol for what they were searching for for reproduction. And right. that young man has not been seen again. So right, and it, I don't know if the two are connected, but I I wouldn't doubt. I they don't were. either, but I've I've kept it so that I can put it with my book. <laughs> Yeah. I, I keep a lot of things on UFOs, and I have um, even uh, other places. Um, I'm from Nebraska, and even in Nebraska, there were some UFOs that were seen, and I took a, um, I, I made a scrapbook out of uh, some of the UFOs that were seen. Um, <clears throat> and also... With with the bullet, 
I took it to uh, a studio and had professional pictures taken of it. I do not know why. I do not. But I did. Uh, I had people from all over the world call us, and we even had uh, some military that asked for some the pictures of the bullet, and I sent it to them. Mm-hmm. And so the bullet was all over the world, but the 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 place that took the picture burnt down, so it wow. is no but more. You- so the the place so is I still anymore, have, but you the do have the picture of the bullet. Good. Yes, and the and the bullet has also disappeared, and that oh, is no. also part of. Yes, that what is happened? part of. It was stolen from the University of Wyoming. Ah, <gasps> oh. but I have what the picture shame. of it. It's thank goodness. Why I took the pictures, I don't know, but well, it's um, good you have them. It, uh, Dr. Sprinkle had it at the um, University of Wyoming, and uh, it disappeared out of there. And and anytime there's proof of something, it does disappear with it. It seems that yeah, there seems is a history of that it. happening that uh, these pieces of evidence go missing, unfortunately. And thank God that you were smart enough to have photos taken, and that you still have the photos. And I've seen the photo. It's remarkable. And also the drawing of Ozo-1. It's it's very different than any other alien I've ever seen a photo or a picture drawn. Uh, very different experience. And He's almost uh, friendly looking. <laughs> yeah, he he does look kind of friendly. And he was I mean, more or less friendly with Carl until he dumped yes, him off yes. to the bottom of the cubicle. So that uh, wasn't very friendly. <laughs> But uh, the rest of his journey, it sounds like it, it was. I mean, clearly these aliens have to know that the lights on their buildings are, are going to be injurious to human eyes. And why they didn't protect Carl's eyes, I don't know. But uh, there's some, some, some questions I have about their intent with Carl. And it's, uh, it just sounds to me like because he had the vasectomy, they didn't need him. Thank goodness they didn't need him. And then they brought him Cause back. Because Carl said he couldn't figure out anything else. He said, you know, he's a strong man. He's a big man. He um, even has a good mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the only thing he could come up with was the vasectomy. And he had That's heard right. stories that they do try to breed um, some of the humans up there. Yeah. So. Yes. I don't know. And there were other humans that were below the light, and they were humans, and they looked like they were comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Very so. interesting. I mean, this whole thing is is just so, to me, it's so believable because, again, Carl didn't go looking for UFOs. He went looking for elk. No. And Carl is the type of person who is very grounded, very down-to-earth, very much a man's man, uh, a loyal family man, loved his family, uh, loves you. You guys have been married for over 60 years, right? 63 years. 63 years. Congratulations. Yes. Thank I mean, you. So, so there's, there's this way of living that you, you all had as a family. 
that's it. It goes with our old-fashioned morals and and integrity, things that are missing greatly today, and and so yeah, having this this high strangeness come into your lives, and and being able to talk about it so logically as you do, you know, this is an experience you all went through. It's it's really great that you're able to share this with all of us tonight on the show and. And that you're still living a, a a normal life. You're still living a life with your children, with your grandchildren. Carl's by your side. It's it's really um, it says a lot about who you all are as strong people. Thank you. And the way Carl ended um, the book, and and they're also um, in search of came out and did a little segment on them. And the way mm-hmm. he ended it was if this happens to you, find somebody to talk about about it and get on with your life. Don't let perfect it take over advice. your life. Perfect, perfect advice, yes. And I, I think that should be told because uh, this does happen to a lot of people. A lot of people will not talk about it. Uh, we had I don't know how many calls from all over the world um, some of them just called to see if there was a Carl Higdon in Rollins, Wyoming. Uh, when there was, they decided to talk to him. And Carl said, it's your dime. If you want to talk, I'll talk about it. Um, and several of them, as Carl said, he felt like he was crazy. And several of them told him, it's so good to talk to you and so good to talk to someone that's been through this. I have been through it, too. But they wouldn't talk to anybody about it. Yeah. And you can see why. So, I mean, there's. we've talked about this a lot on the show. There is no upside, for the most part, in sharing an experience like this. I mean, you guys were are very special people. You are. And... You lived in Thank a very, you. very special town that supported you, didn't even question you. It's like, look, if Carl says it happened, it happened. That's it. And, and Yeah, so I know that area out there. I've heard a lot of things about it, you know. <laughs> yep. Yes. So there was confirmation yeah. coming from them. There was support coming from them. And, it, you know, it's so different than how many abductees are treated. And think about Travis Walton. Um, you know, they, they thought the guys uh, on the, the logging buddies that he had had killed him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were all under great suspicion. It was just a mess. And poor Travis right. just dropped off, like, I don't know how many miles it was. It was quite a few miles from the place where he was taken. And I think he didn't even have his clothes. So that no, wasn't very he was, nice he was naked, they say. Yeah. And yeah, at so, the same time that this happened to Carl... There were several other UFO incidents in Wyoming around area, uh, but most of them uh, that we, we met through Leo, uh, they're no longer married. It it ruined their marriage. It ruined their jobs. It they let it ruin their life. Right. And don't don't talk about it. Find somebody right, to talk about and get on with your life. 
Right, and and that's what you all did, and stayed true to each other as a family, which is again amazing, and and you're to be congratulated for this, um, the whole the whole event. You know, whenever you talk about this with us and with me, Marjorie, I, I just get this feeling of such tremendous loyalty that you have with your husband, your family. I mean, that it's your inner strength that helped to make this an event that didn't destroy Carl and didn't destroy your marriage and it didn't destroy your family. So I give you well, a lot of credit Carl for told, all of that. Carl told the kids that if he went to school and if he heard there was any fights amongst any of the kids over this, he said, when you get home, you're going to get in trouble too. <laughs> get in trouble twice. Yes, those are the good old days. Huh? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now, the, the kids didn't even have trouble in school. They uh, there was a few things that went on. Yes, I mean that's that's normal. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, something like this on a whole of whole, it, everybody was really wonderful about it. Thank uh, even my minister from home. Um, <laughs> He and I even had a talk. He thought they must be the devil because they were in black. And I, he happened to be in a black robe that day. And I asked him, <laughs> are you of the devil? You wear black. He says, well, right. of course not, Marge. Anyway, Margie, yeah, that's okay to say it. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's what I asked him. I said, well, you, you wear it to... Uh, specify sin. They use it to keep the sun from burning them. He says, oh, maybe I need to think about this differently then. He thought they were evil people, that the, they were of the devil, you know, because they were in black. Well, yeah, they're which not. Is kind of a silly association. I mean, there's so much more to all of this. And, again, I keep going back to the description I heard from you originally about the meeting between Carl and Aza One. And it sounded like Aza One had a level of respect for Carl. Did you get that feeling, too? Well, he just talked to him and asked him if he was hungry and kind of like another hunter would be. Um, He... Neither one at that time were scared of each other, and Carl did not try to shoot him. He lowered <laughs> his point. when he turned around. He lowered his gun, like there you know. You mm-hmm. uh, he didn't keep his gun pointed at him, and he lowered it. He showed so that is Carl such an showed, important fact. Carl showed respect for him uh, because he was. Carl thought it was another human. And yeah. so I hadn't thought about that. But, yes, Carl Carl lowered his gun when he turned around. Yeah, that's really important. So there was no aggression from either side. And no. that made made a big difference, I'm sure. Yes. And as yes. far as I know, all of these stories that I have been told and hear of UFOs, have they really hurt anybody? Um, I have heard I, some, 
some stories where they have, and this, these oh, okay. stories came out of South America. Yeah, uh, where a couple of people at least were really injured uh, to the point of death. And but did they try again, to the, harm them? Well, that's another question we don't have the answer to, and that is a good question. You know, did these people get aggressive with alien life forms, and then it just turned into a, a big problem from there? I don't know, but you're asking the right questions. But, yes, there have been reports of that um, that happening, and there's been a lot of reports of people disappearing. Uh, now, whether it's UFO-related or not, I don't know. But uh, David Polites is a, a very experienced ex-detective who has tracked all of these things and identified a series of events that pulled together that seem to create uh, a lot of similarities in how these people are go missing. And sometimes their bodies are found and sometimes they're not, and they're in remote areas. Uh, so some of them in national parks. But there's there's just so many that I recall in reading David's books, which are so well written about these these people that have gone missing. And these events were, as I mentioned before, people end up with head injuries as if they've been dropped from a higher place. And then, you know, when you shared this story of Carl and how Carl was dropped, he injured his shoulder very badly because he was dropped on the very, side of the Very, very badly. Yes, so I it mean, was, I can it, see where it the damage was due for many years. He had yeah, no so to have with a, his shoulders an injury like that, and then I think of these other people where the bodies were found and they had head injuries, almost as if they uh, they slipped, fell on their heads, or certainly if you're dropped on a mountainside or a hill, that's entirely possible, especially if you're disoriented. Right. So, and you see, know, Carl was dropped quite a, quite a ways away from where he had been picked up, where the elk was. Carl's pickup was right. way far away from where he had where he had left it on top of the hill. It was now, way down in there. How did he find his way back to that CB radio and the truck? Because it was everything was in a different place. He was in a different place. The truck was in a different place. He didn't How even did know that there? it was his truck. He did not know it was his pickup. Uh, he was cold. Um, he was he was disoriented. Uh, he was cold. He walked past the pickup, and he heard some noise coming out of it. There was somebody on the CB radio. He did not know it at that time. Uh, there was noise coming out of it, though, so he noticed the noise, and he walked past it, and he was so cold that he decided to go back and get in the pickup to try to warm up. And when he got in the pickup, he could still hear voices coming out from the CB. And so he started playing. <laughs> this is, it's crazy because he's used the CB for, I mean, I don't know how many years. He started playing with the CB until he huh. could was able to talk back to them and then it uh, the the cb in his pickup only it was not a national wide one it was only for work it only went from his pickup to the uh, home office mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and uh, they asked him to get in the uh, glove compartment 
and see if he could find any papers that would show what number or what pickup or anything. Um, and Carl got into the uh, glove compartment and uh, was a, they were able to verify that it was Carl's company pickup. I Otherwise, see. they didn't now, even know that. Right. Now, you talk about him being so cold. Was he missing any clothing, his jacket, gloves? I mean, I imagine that he must have had some something with him uh to protect him he from had a coat on weather. he had a he okay. he had a he had a coat on a kind of a, one of those padded uh sewn ones that um yeah like a carhartt any, coat something like that yeah it's supposed to be a warm warm coat but mm-hmm. being disoriented and having amnesia and being scared and he 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 was he was just cold and just shaken, just shaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he didn't have any coffee either. Oh God! <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, right there. He is and a big I. Problem. We, we we tried we tried to find fun in everything. I mean everything. <laughs> and uh, he he is a great coffee drinker, and I mean he he drinks it a pot a day. Wow! And so oh yes, and so <laughs> here he was out there and didn't have any coffee. <laughs> oh, that's a bad thing. And no kidding. So anyway, he he was cold and shaking, and it was a it was a cool night. Mm-hmm. And but I tried to put clothing, my coat on so him, but yes, he had all right. his clothing. He had and all he of had his hat. Some people come back yeah. without any, like poor Travis did. So. Yeah, so he had his hat, his coat, and it was just basically the experience that had shaken him so badly. So he was really shaking with the, the coldness of fear, which is understandable. Yes. And it was so it was excellent that everybody knew it was important to take him to the hospital and, you know, have the blood work done, have the x-rays done, uh, have his shoulder looked at, all of those kinds of things so that he could get the right medical attention immediately. Um, it's a little concerning that somebody thought he might be danger, dangerous enough to shoot. I mean, the poor guy had just yes, been through a terrible well, they, they ordeal. Didn't, they didn't know shoot. what he was doing at that time. I mean, he was—I mean, he was like a crazy man. I mean, mm-hmm. he was screaming and running, and oh yes, that's been 43 yeah. years ago, 47 years ago, and I can still see him out there. Yeah, that's I'm it's, sorry. it's very I'm sorry. very frightening. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, of course, it's very frightening. Uh, because the people that are there to help you suddenly uh they're they're seeing him as some kind of, kind of a threat. But he was really just disoriented and how do you integrate something like that? How do you digest it? How do you make sense of it? It's not an easy thing to do by any means. I mean, he's just been taken out of this reality to another planet and in a short period of time because he, this all happened in the course of one day, right? Right, right. One at one one afternoon. One afternoon. That's a uh, lot from, to process. Uh, yes, yes. And and now, and him not walking, and he. Uh, I don't want to put it. He prides himself that he uh, he is his own man. And that this mm-hmm. thing could take, uh, this being could take and make him do things, and he had no power over it. 
uh, he right. floated. Uh, the mm-hmm. pills floated to him. Uh, he had no hands. He had a cone. And when he pointed that cone at anything, it disappeared. Where did it go? Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, there was there was just so many things that just... But but the thing that was worse was, was the bullet. He watched the bullet come out of his brand new gun and just go and went to the ground. <laughs> Dropped to the ground. And, My goodness. And he picked it up. He walked over, according to the hypnosis, he walked over, picked it up, and put it in his water canteen. Mm-hmm. And that's where I found it uh, when I went home that that morning. And uh, I just noticed that it was a mangled piece of uh, uh, metal. I had no Mm -hmm. idea what it was. I just went and took a shower and went to bed. I mean, but the phone (laughs) kept ringing. Is Carl okay? Where's Carl? All this. And and finally I I said something about the mangled piece of uh, metal, and somebody told me, take it to the sheriff. And so the next day, well, that, that day, Later that day, after I got up and woke up and everything, I took it down to the sheriff's office, but the sheriff wasn't in. And one of the deputies took it to the back and came back and told me it was a 7 millimeter, which is what Carl shot. Mm-hmm. And, right. um, so, and why I did a lot of the things I did, I don't know why I did them either. It was just... Like I was programmed to do it. It was well. You're also a very intuitive lady. Uh, you you have a deeper understanding of a lot of things. So I'm not surprised you did all the took all the right steps. Um, it's just who you are, which is well, which is really you. great. <laughs> yeah, just really really great. And again, your your husband and you are just two terrific people. I feel blessed to know both of you. I wish we lived a little closer and I could have you both over for tea and coffee, or, well, coffee for Carl. I have to have coffee. I'll I'll have the tea. (laughs) He'll have the coffee. (laughs) With cream and sugar. (laughs) Of course. And I know you're uh, you're going to be writing a second part to your book. And again, I just want to give the name of your book to everybody. It is Alien Abduction of the Wyoming Hunter, First Person Story of Carl Higdon. And now in your next book, you talked about continuing on with the story and also sharing some of these photographs. We that we went have. back out later. Um, the, being able to see the bullet come out bothered Carl, even with the hypnosis and everything. It bothered him. Mm-hmm. And um, we we loved to play in the snow. We had at that time we had snowmobiles, and. Um, we decided to take an outing, but we did not go south of Rollins. We went north. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wanted good. to shoot his rifle. He wanted to see if it would go through uh, a tree like it was supposed to, or would, or was there something wrong with the bullet? Was it underloaded or something? They even tried to underload and everything else with the, the metal guy, um, Dr. Walker. Um and so we loaded up the mo- uh, snowmobiles and picnic lunch, and we went to have an outing with the kids. 
and mm-hmm. he took his rifle and he shot and it came out like it was supposed to. It made a noise like it was supposed to. It went through the tree like it was supposed to. And then we just played around and had a good outing like we usually do. Yeah, and it sounds like it helped to put his mind at ease a little bit. And certainly, after all these years, uh, you had so many years and time to reflect on all of this. But I do look forward to seeing your next book on this, Marjorie, and uh, more of your photos. And I can't thank you enough. We went back out to the the actual area, and we took pictures. Uh, I've got pictures of... um, the muck hole that the the pickup was in, uh, the, mm-hmm. you can see the we we had some kids with us. We had them stand in the uh, ruts of the uh, road so ah. you could see how deep yep. they were. There, yep, good idea. Well, unfortunately, we're and running there out is, of time, my dear. We're going to have okay, to. I would like to say one thing more. Up. In yes, that area, on the one of the trees was a carving. And it is carving something like I've never seen before, and I don't know. I've got a picture of it, and I don't know why it would be down there. Well, maybe that's something we should take a look at. So, um, please feel free to email it over if you can. I'll look at it and see if I can shed any light on it. But I just okay. want to thank you and Carl again so much for your time this evening. I know Carl's been sitting right with you during the whole interview, and thank you so much for your time and all the best to you and your family and again look forward to the next book so until next week everybody uh, we will see you on the blue highway and we have another exciting show next week don't miss it make sure to get this book alien abduction of the wyoming hunter first person story of carl higdon and everybody be safe and get all your shopping, et cetera, done safely. And we'll talk again next week about all the things that we love to talk about. Marjorie, thank you so much. You take care of yourself. Happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. welcome I, I didn't know the whole show was going to be on me i think i figured i'd just have a little segment in it oh no you're the whole show <laughs> <laughs> wow we can't leave people hanging there's way too much to your story and i didn't i oh. didn't mention as you noticed anything about further communication right between, i'm glad um, um yeah i know you because, said you wanted to keep it private that was fine yeah with with his shoulder whenever it gets to hurt and real bad they they contact him. He can't contact them. Well, they con- whenever his shoulder gets to hurt and bad, they contact him. Oh, but I see. Well, they should. It, they it, caused it. <laughs> <Those> stinkers. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
But I, yes, I was sitting did. here looking at the at the cover of my book while I, you know, while we were talking, and really, he does look like a friendly kind of man, almost. I mean, he looks kind of goofy, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't look like all those scary ones that I've seen on all the other ones, you know, the know. the gray ones yeah. and the big heads and the skinny. Yeah, they, and... they look pretty intimidating. And yeah, but so... also, you're right. To me, he always looked kind of goofy, so. <laughs> oh, okay. But anyways, well, well, this we'll, is the we'll pleasure. We'll talk to you later you. then. And, yes, and you have a touch, very please. good holiday and you too and i will be sending you jerry willis's uh phone number and email you can contact him when you want to do his show he's a, he's the lovely guy as i mentioned i wouldn't send you to anybody who wasn't and i i just hope the best for you both and and uh also your next book i'm excited and i will talk to the publisher for you okay and tell uh, what's her name pk yes pk that we we wish the best for her Thank you. And poor thing, she's been through it, I'll tell you. This has been really mm. horrible, horrible pain. She's had one fracture after another in her spine mm. for, from nothing, Marjorie, from nothing. Is, just like does she, woke up does one she have osteoporosis? She, has, or? she does. She does. Oh, no. But you know what? Oh, no. Yeah, they gave her this shot that's supposed to help her twice a year, this, this shot, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I said to her, clearly it's not helping because you're just ending up with more and more fractures and you're not doing anything. So she's mm. in the hospital. She's been in the hospital for several days. She's in terrible pain and they're giving I'm her so sorry. whatever she wants to feel a little better. But, yeah, they got to figure this out. Because um, she's a lady. She likes to be on the go. She's always going out and having lunch with her girlfriends and going shopping and, you know, doing fun stuff. And just in the last couple of months, she's been bedridden and in pain, and it's just awful. I feel so bad for her. Mm. So it was nice of I'm you to, so, to, to ask I'm about I'm so sorry yeah. for Yeah, it's terrible. She'll be in the know, prayers. Well, thank you. I will tell her that, and I know that that makes her feel so much better. It really does. So we'll see how how they figure this out. Um, they want to send her to a rehab place, and she said she has to approve it. Um, she's not going to be stuck at some terrible rehab place. She has to be in a place that's really going to do her some good. So mm-hmm. I said, good for you. And you make sure that they send you to the right one because she will need help to get stronger after all of this. So she really misses the show, misses talking with everybody, and so it's it's been a bit of a loss for her. But I'm, mm. I'm praying she that was, she feels better. Yeah, she was very sweet. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She's in her 80s, and mm. she's been a numerologist for you know, most of her life, and loves people, loves to talk to people about all of this stuff. So. Anyways, but you're very kind to offer your your thoughts and prayers to her, and I will be sure to pass that on. Okay, and we'll talk to you later then. Well, that's great, Marjorie. Thanks again. You're a great interview. Mm, thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs> 